my name is Matthew Fort, and this is my daughter Lois. And my name is Lois Fort, and this is my dad, Matthew. And where exactly are you, darling? At home, in my office slash clothing overflow space. (laughs) So so you're surrounded by your winter wardrobe, are you? I am, and it's dampening any excess sound, I hope, so Ah, maybe it's very fit for purpose. Very, very technical. Where are you? Well, I'm actually, I'm sitting in my office too. And my office, as you know, is I live in what used to be the police station in this little village. Copper House. Oh, Copper House. And I am actually sitting in what used to be the holding cell, which is now my office. So, so you, you're, in, you're in jail. <laughs> in jail. But you are to help, help me to get out of here through talking about food. Indeed. Yes. And um, and what sort of things that you like to cook? What do you like to cook? Well, I like to cook lots of things that you don't generally cook or you don't, mm. you know, lean towards. I cook a lot of Asian-inspired food uh, with, you know, lots of random ingredients. And I go to a Chinese supermarket quite often. Um, so I tend to gravitate towards, you know, non-European cuisine. Why, why is this? Is this a sort of reaction against your your domineering dad? <laughs> <laughs> the tyrant of the kitchen. The tyrant of the kitchen. I've never thought about it that way. Maybe it is some underlying resentment that's mm. built up. No, I I don't know. I just love it. I think, it, well, look, you know me. I've been like this since I was a little girl. My favourite thing was when we used to go to the Yummy Yummy Noodle Bar. Yes, God. Play a, a restaurant of hallowed memory. They were so and nice, weren't they? It was amazing. Yeah, to- no frills whatsoever. Mm. Um, but And I always used to eat exactly the same thing. I'd have udon noodles with chicken and vegetables. Um, so I don't know. I, I just I just love Asian food. and I, well, I, find sort of, it... I remember about the yummy, yummy noodle bar is it had very sort of clear, precise flavours, wasn't it? It sort of, it sort of tingled. It sort of it had, had yes. like wind chimes in the mouth. Is, is that what sort of appeals to you about Asian cooking? Well, I think it can be very fresh tasting. Because of the nature of the flavours, there's lemongrass and there's lime juice and, you know, they can be quite sort of sharp flavours that are fresh. And I also think because of, this is also why a lot of them are very healthy, because there's no dairy in their diet, it it's very rarely heavy. Well, I mean, heavy is a, oh, I think heavy is a loose term. I think all <laughs> sorts of people say, oh, that's very heavy. And I think, well, it's only got a little bit of butter in it, and it's only got a dash of cream. As I people... think, I think, I think your uh, your your concept of a little bit of butter <laughs> might be slightly different to most people. <laughs> well, I think it's, it depends on how you're brought up, really, isn't it? And I was brought mm-hmm. up when you know, in, in post war years, when food was much harder to to come by, and certainly Asian ingredients were absolutely impossible to do so. And I sort of grew up in the the English, French, Italian tradition, and and that does. Govern my, govern my the way I cook. I think and the way I think about food. Do you have any anything like sort of signature dishes, or do you know what a signature dish even is? I mean, how would we? How would you actually define a signature dish? Well, it's I suppose it's the sort of dish where people, when people come to your house, they say, "Oh, are we having that? Whatever it is, roast chicken again, or that, or that laksa that you made last yes. time." Uh, something like that. Funnily and, enough, mine is the laxa. <laughs> <laughs> so you do have a signature dish? Well, that's probably a dish that my friends and family most request from me. If I say, what would you like? It's, oh, can we have that laxa that you made last time? 
Um, so if I, but I don't really like the expression signature dish, but that's probably what, that's one of the dishes I'm associated with because I make it quite often. I think signature dish is something, you know, that you sort of associate with chefs, isn't it? My yeah. signature dish is, you know, and I think, well, I mean, hang on a second, you know, um, why do you need a signature dish? Why do you, does it mean to say you're going to be cooking that, that particular dish over and over and over again for the rest of the time that you're going to be behind the stove? Can't well, I suppose for chefs, it's a bit like a, it's just a piece of branding, isn't it, really? You know, ah. something to something to hang their hat on, something to be known for. It's a piece of branding, I would have thought. Yeah, I think, you know, in a way, it sort of signifies, I, I don't know, sort of limited powers of invention and creation. You know, oh, I'll go back, I'll go back and do that, that thing I feel really safe with all the time, you know, the, the custard tart or the whatever it happened to be, I don't know. Um, and I don't, I don't really like, I think that the whole joy of being a domestic cook, actually, is that you can cook whatever you like. Yeah, and, and, and also being inventive, being able to, you know, make it up a bit, do it on the hoof, see what comes your way. There's a sort of extraordinary range of, of, of different cooking cultures to, to explore, each of which have different sort of qualities and different ideas and different techniques and different ingredients. Um, and that's sort of tremendous inspiration and, uh, and spur to the imagination. It's a good point, actually, because what we end up cooking is often very reliant on what access we have in terms of ingredients or indeed... Where are we cooking? What equipment is there? What can I use? I think that, I mean, one of the things that irritates me, I have to say, about a lot of sort of uh, the recipes that I see in, in newspapers, magazines, even online, is the assumption that often quite abstruse and, and rarefied ingredients are available around everybody's corner, whereas they're really based on either um you know what you can get in london um or maybe mm. manchester and and, and, mm. and leeds and birmingham um but you, you can't find in but let's say small country towns like stroud it would be much more difficult to track these things down or 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 aberdeen or macclesfield or somewhere else or just in the middle of the countryside i mean this was the whole problem for a long time with ottolenghi and he was so known for the fact that his his recipes always looked wonderful and that they'd be absolutely delicious if, A, you could find the blooming ingredients, or B, it wasn't going to take you a week and going to 65 different shops to find each one. A week? It took me about five years to track down <laughs> pomegranate syrup. Oh, yeah, that's become, that's become quite pedestrian now, I think, thanks to Ottolenghi. And then I only ever used it, I think, once. I think I've still got the same bottle lingering sadly around Actually, somewhere in my kitchen. You, that is a really good point. That's a good question because so often, I don't, well, I probably not with you, but so often I, we'll go and buy a random herb or spice that we'll, we won't need or use for another 18 months. And they do go off. They lose their potency. So um, maybe, you know, one needs to do a kind of a regular what's in the cupboard and cook using that as an inspiration. <laughs> well, I think... I was thinking that actually would make a really good subject for for a later podcast is, you know, the store cupboard, what you should have in it and how often you should change it. Because I think there's a, yes. there's a lot of sort of practical details around that. That, that you know, I mean, in theory, I think you should change your, all your spices every at least every six months because that's prohibitively expensive for many people. 
Gosh, really? Six months? That mm. often? Yeah. 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 Well, if you, you, you really notice the difference, because as soon as you open a pot of something, the air gets at it, it begins to oxidise, and all that lovely fresh bloom, whoa, it's gone with the wind. Do you ever fall back on tried and tested? Do you ever feel, you know, repeat uh, yourself? Y- Oh, I definitely repeat myself. I mean, I think, you know, for one of two reasons, either A, lost lost inspiration, can't think of what to make, can't think of anything new, uh, or B, cooking for people where you really don't want to go wrong. So you do a tried and tested to remove your margin of error. I think that's really, really boring. <laughs> I'm honest. I'm not, that's mean i cook the same thing every week but every now and again you know what it's like if you've got 12 people coming over for supper you you really kind of can't afford to go wrong you just want to cook something you know how to cook a limited when you've got a limited time well because what you choose to cook is governed by a whole series of different disciplines you know who you're cooking for how many you're cooking for? What time have you got to cook in? What what ingredients are you know, readily available? What can you pick up on the way home before you before you start mm. cooking? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and and, and so the, when you when you cook, you're very rarely are you thinking I've just you know I've got, I've got a completely blank canvas. No, I've got a bit. Oh, I've got to remember someone's a vegetarian, uh, someone else doesn't like um, shellfish, you know, and so on and so forth. There are all sorts of, of constraints that's quite funny you've just but you you've hit the nail on the head because i was about to ask you next i was about to say dad when you're planning a meal for guests how often do you actually think about what they might not want because there <laughs> have <laughs> there have been occasions <laughs> oh i know where, what you're referring uh, to no, no, there's several. I mean, but there have been some sort of moments where I feel, oh, we've really missed the mark here. You know, well, like, was, you know, I do remember. Wrong... I think that the, the biggest mark I ever missed was my own my own birthday party. Where I remember we had all the family oh, there. Your seventieth birthday. That was my seventieth birthday, and I decided to cook a dish, which I must say, I, I, <laughs> I did, I did love myself, and I knew that my three brothers and my sister would love. And it was hair with chocolate sauce, an old Sicilian <laughs> recipe. And I hadn't really, it's true, I hadn't taken into account, I'm afraid to say, the, the, the wimpish <laughs> behaviour, the wimpish <laughs> behaviour of my nephews and nieces. I'm sorry, that is not wimpish at all. It was a very, very overwhelming meal to be confronted with. It and was also, a, it was a unlike bit of a you. Well, and also, strangely, I seem to remember you'd kind of done nothing to soften the experience. There wasn't a vegetable. There wasn't there wasn't anything other than hair and chocolate and some rather crusty bread. <laughs> and, and, I can't remember, but I'm sure there was there was something. In fact, I tell you what, yeah, you carry on talking because I can look it up. I what I have here beside me is I, I, that one of those Saturdays. I keep a record. When I have people for, for lunch or for dinner, whatever it happens to be, I, I write down what I cooked for them and and um, and who is there and actually what we drank. And so I'm going to go and look back and find my... No, I think that's, that's good. That's not sad. That's good. It's and nice I will record. tell you exactly what we ate because somewhere in here... Oh, look at these. Oh, God. I've really been quite sort of bold and 
Oh, uh, that one's... I can tell you, I think I can remember what we drank, or I can certainly remember the fact that uh, you added heavy to heavy, and I think we drank a 15% red wine. Oh, you <laughs> there was certainly red wine. Are you suggesting I was guilty of a bit of an overkill? Well, I, th- I think most of us left that lunch feeling uh, gastronomically overwhelmed and certainly not sober. <laughs> <laughs> what, what an absolute tragedy. Oh, here we go. Yes, January the 29th, 70th birthday. Yes, we had we had Mr Trotter's Great British Pork Crackling for nibbles. Oh, God, yeah. And actually, what we had was hair in chocolate sauce, boiled potatoes, salad, cheese, birthday cake, mother's creamed rice pudding and Dilu's lemon tart. Blimey. I remember being so overwhelmed by the hair and chocolate, I don't think I ate anything of anything else. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to say, it was the first time that my boyfriend had met your family or been to a fort occasion. And he didn't know you very well at that point. And I remember watching him sitting opposite me, surrounded by about 25 really noisy forts that he'd never met before. And then being confronted by a plate of hair and chocolate, and I thought, oh dear, oh, this, this, oh dear. Uh, well, it says a great deal for Peter that he you know, he he with, withstood that onslaught by fort and food, and uh, and and um, and is still there eating um, eating tea with you. He is yes, tea, yeah. not supper. Uh, but no, that's the point because it is about you know. I think I I sort of obsess maybe too much about am I going to cook something that my guests are going to really like? Is this appropriate for each one? Do I know what kind of foods they eat? Do I know what they like? Whereas I think you just kind of make what you're going to make. Well, I think they're damned lucky, frankly, to be cooked for at all. <laughs> and actually, most people, but I work on the basis that most people just love being fed and, you know, and aren't too choosy. Yes. I mean, as long as you're not going to feed them with stuff that's going to you know, make them throw up or kill them or anything. Like, like, like hair and chocolate. All right, hair. Okay, <laughs> I accept. I slightly overstepped the mark there, you know. But don't let's go rubbing it in. You know, let's move <laughs> okay. on beyond hair gate, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, um, but I do think that people uh, people basically love being cooked for, and have, you know, as, as long as you don't challenge them too much. I mean, I always, I don't, for example, you know, I have an absolute passion for offal, and I very, very rarely, if ever, actually ever serve offal, for example. In fact, That's true. I, you don't do that. Can, can I recommend something that it's actually? I find it really interesting to, you know, to if you keep one of these dining diaries or whatever you like to call it because going back you know i can see that my my range is i mean it doesn't it, it is european but it, it is quite you know it's not all a uh, heavy overkill here's a lovely delicious you know, a lamb um spring stew uh, there's a little uh, chicken with 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 tarragon potato cake with prosciutto rose zucchini and carrots oh, yeah, come on that's not oh I lo- oh your potato cake potato cake with prosciutto is so delicious yes that's sort of, actually that's a really good really good dish what you do is you take you get a non-stick frying pan and, and grease it up a bit and then you layer put a layer of 
prosciutto slices, line it with a layer of prosciutto slices, and then you, you slice potatoes, probably something with potatoes with a bit of texture to them, you know, like uh, charlotte, and you lay them, you fill up the pan with that, and if you want to, you can put a layer of prosciutto through the middle of, of them and put some more potatoes, sliced potatoes. I sliced them on a mandolin. Indeed, I, I sliced them on the mandolin the other day and took a chunk of ma- my thumb with them. But uh, So that particular delicious uh, um, uh, vegetarian dish was somehow... <laughs> had a bit. Anyway, but anyway, so then you fill it up, so it's all flat, and then you, you top it up with stock. You cover it with stock, mm. and then you... Boil it quite hard so that the the um, as the potatoes cook, the stock all evaporates, and you're left with this lovely solid mass, which you can then turn out like a cake, and then cut it into 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 sections. And everybody thinks, "God, that's so clever!" And actually, it's it is so because it's easy. it's well, it's very pretty, and it's so unctuous. It's got a really sort of it's got a really satisfyingly dense texture because the potato absorbs all of that lovely stock. Um, it's it's a it's a really wonderful yeah. dish. It's one of those those sides that um, you can eat a lot of. <laughs> and if Far you too much of. heavens for that, but if you want a vegetarian version, you just leave out the um, you know you leave out the the the, uh, the prosciutto and just use chicken. Oh, sorry, use vegetable stock in, instead, and it, it would still turn out pretty well. I would probably line it then with greaseproof paper. Um, ah, so that it yes. makes it, the turning out a little bit, a little bit easier, and I hope that it sticks mm. together. Um, anyway, so, well, thank you, darling, for that ringing endorsement. Now, do, do you oh, ever yeah. think that you get into a rut? Do you ever get into a rut? Do you ever think, oh God, I can't think of anything to cook. What am I going to do next? I've got. Uh, I, I, do you know? I suppose, in a way, yes. But then there are so many places to turn for inspiration, and I Where think do you, now. Where do you go? Where do you go? Well. Uh, I mean, I think with a sort of access to Instagram and social media, there's a lot there that's very readily available that doesn't involve, you know, choosing a specific book or diving through it. I tell you what, and I was thinking about this the other day. I take a lot of, as do my friends, as does Peter, we take a lot of food photographs. Uh, I mean, too much. I often think sometimes it's crazy. We'll be sitting in a restaurant or at someone else's house and go, oh, isn't that pretty? Must take a photo of it. But actually... What happens is when the two of us, for example, wake up on Sunday morning and think, oh, we'd love to cook a big meal today. What are we going to make? We'll just flick through. You know, if you type in a word into your photos app on your phone, just type in food. It'll bring up all the photographs you've taken of food and get rid of everything else. And then you can just scroll through it and think, oh, God, remember that amazing dish we had at that restaurant? Oh, let's try and make that or a version of that. Yes, I've received some of your photographs of the delicious dishes. And all I can say is it's really, really unkind. Because what he's saying is that, is that we're really enjoying this and you're not. <laughs> and I oh, well, that's... Say, that I'm missing out. Oh, it shouldn't make you feel like you're missing out. It should inspire you. Uh, no, well, my, no I, I go, I go I, for inspiration, I, I tend to go back if I need you know, something. Because, you know, as we were saying earlier, that, you know, is that there are all sorts of, of constraints which sort of direct the way you're going to prepare your food. I mean, I was cooking for seven at the weekend, and, and so you've got to have quite a large piece of whatever it is you know, to, mm. to, you know, to, to make a sort of centrepiece to feed that many people. 
Um, so sometimes, sometimes I start start with that, and sometimes, sometimes I just start with an ingredient. You know, I've, I think I see something, you know, a, a fish, a, a, a John Dory, or I see a particularly fine looking chicken or piece of game or something. I think, oh, what can I do with that? And mm-hmm. then you know, I'll sort of poke around in in books. You see, I don't use the look on the internet. Whenever I look on the internet. I see, you know, you type in tuna, and there are 5,000 recipes for tuna. Well, I just, oh, I just can't make up my mind, you know. It's all too much for you. It is. I am overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. <laughs> so uh, so then I go back, and, there are, and, and if, if you are ever interested in cookery books, there are, there are two or three which I really strongly anybody recommend to have in their library. One is the greatest of all cookery books, which is Mastering the Art of French Cookery, not much good for Ottolenghi or Honey and Co or any of those, um, you know, all the Asian food. But nevertheless, if you cook from if you cook from Mastering the Art of French Cookery by Louise Berthold, Julia Child, and Simon Beck, and you cook for that for a year, you then don't need a cookery book again as long as you live because you know exactly gives you a, gives you a foundation all the techniques, all the foundations, and the recipes are really good. And then for Italian food, because as you know, I'm, I'm really fond of Italian food. Mm. I really adore it. Um, it's it's a book called Regional Italian Cooking by Ada Boney, which is difficult okay. to get hold of. But it has every time I think, well, I, I want something in, you know something that no one else has cooked from Italian cookery, and you look in there, and there's always it's always there. There's always some marvelous little treat. I mean, for example, I mean the last the last meal I cooked was loin of pork cooked in milk. Oh, I bet that was really tender and delicious. Well, what you do is, you know, you, you, you cook it in the milk and then loin of pork, you know, you take the skin off and the bone off and you cook mm. it in the brown it and then you cook it in the milk and then the milk gradually reduces. It forms these sort of uh, little brown clotted bits at the bottom of the pan, which is sort of like milky toffee. Absolutely delicious. <laughs> but it also keeps the the uh, the, um, the 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 pork as well, tender while it's being cooked as well. Mm. See, mm. I find that, that. But pork in milk, I can hear people say, "What an extraordinary idea!" But actually, it's yeah. a really delicious one. So that's the last thing I cooked. Was that oh, the last you? thing you cooked? That was the last thing I cooked yesterday for for, for lunch yesterday. Okay. Well, the last thing I cooked, the last thing I cooked was, um, I've got another prop. Here we go. Oh, yes. uh, so, so Peter and I were, <laughs> were in town and we stumbled across an Asian supermarket, which we do quite often. And we walked in and they had this. And I won't lie, other than a lot of curiosity, we really bought it because it was reduced from £9 to 2 <laughs> What is it? <laughs> it is called and i don't know what the first three letters mean hdl self heating beef hot pot spicy flavor <laughs> <laughs> there's the there is the the packaging i could feel, okay. feel my spirit quailing at the very thought oh very tasteful what so we just thought self heating i mean how extraordinary so so we bought it and we thought let's just we'll we'll give it a go and we it was sitting in the kitchen for a couple of weeks. We were looking at this box and we never got to it. No, we never got to it. And then we really had lost inspiration one night. We were both quite tired. Couldn't really be bothered to cook. There was nothing in the house. And Peter went, oh, we've got this self-heating. Let's try the hot pot. And we thought it's going to be delicious. We, we, the one thing that we both have is that we are, um, until proven wrong, we're endlessly optimistic that everything's going to be delicious. <laughs> in this case, we were 
so far from right. It, it's not even funny. It was quite a traumatising experience. So you take this thing out of the box and there's various instructions, but basically there's one big container and one little container, all plastic, of course, and then silver packets of all the different uh, bits, which are called... Um, hang on. Uh, there's beef, vermicelli noodles pickled vegetables and hot pot seasoning and you're told to put all of these things take these all out of the packets and put them in the in the container and the, and the last one that you do is the beef and everything was fine until we opened the beef packet and it was like the strongest sort of cat food smell <laughs> anyway not not ones to get you know to, to shy away easily we'll, we'll, we'll keep going with this then you um you fill the large pot with room temperature water or just water, you know, water from the cold tap that isn't really, really cold. And so you fill that up to a fill line and then you put the box with all of the food in inverted commas. And then you have to, and it says very, very quickly, uses the word very twice, put the lid on, seal it and leave it um, and preferably ventilate the room. <laughs> just a <laughs> <laughs> and it says leave it for 15 minutes so we've got this little google home box so we said you know hey google set a timer for 15 minutes oh. and we thought oh well, this will take a while so we went into the living room to turn the tv on and then i just suddenly started hearing something walked into the kitchen and there was this box sort of slightly quivering with a plume of smoke or, or, or no not really smoke but sort of condensation steam coming out of the top of it and we went and touched the box. It was piping hot. I mean, and that was with, honestly within 45 seconds. So anyway, so this carries on and we leave it to steam away for 15 minutes. You know, we kind of kept going in to watch it, you know, with intense curiosity. But but there was slight nerves as if it was going to explode at any moment. And... Um, then we take the lid off and we're going to eat it and we get you know get our nice little Chinese bowls and we divvy it up and it sort of looks really interesting and we go, we go in uh, I go to the table sit down I had a mouthful and it it sort of it tasted as if I had put dangerous toxic chemicals in my mouth. <laughs> via a via a chili vehicle so i could i could hardly breathe i was spluttering it was i felt like my tongue i felt like the top layer of my tongue was coming off peter looked at me as if i was deeply over exaggerating and i said to well, you you try it you try it so he tried it and promptly had to leave the room um it was honestly so, the most revolting in completely inedible so not a success no, not a success. Okay, but then, the reason I'm telling you this, other than the fact that it was quite funny, is because I then decided to do a little bit of research about the self-heating hot pot or the self-heating device. Okay, so this is the best thing, that as soon as I Googled it, on basically every single source of information, usually quite near the top, it says, only for use in an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> Which you haven't so spotted. I think we weren't we weren't pioneers sitting at the top of Mount Everest, desperately needing a feed. Um, uh, so it I'm uses sure probably your best piece of advice would have been to call the fire brigade before you started <laughs> on this. So it uses it's called self heating field radiation. 
Everyone wants the word radiation around their food, don't they? Uh, and it works by adding water to powdered minerals, for example, magnesium, iron and salt. And it gets to 150 degrees centigrade in that box, uh, obviously relying on a chemical reaction. The first self-heating device was a self-heating tin that was invented in 1897 by a Russian engineer. Not quite sure why. Uh, and then it was commercialised in 1900 for explorers and mountaineers. But then in World War II, it was manufactured for some of the Russian army. Interestingly, th then it disappears off the face of the planet. Nobody uses a self-heating tin again until, for reasons unbeknownst uh, to, to these sources, it sort of, there was a resurgence in 2006 in America. But fascinatingly, and I suppose now I think about it unsurprisingly, in China... Sales have surged by up to 150% because of the pandemic. Well, thank you for this absolutely fascinating insight into the social and cultural history yeah. of the... Well, I mean, it's, it's different from boil in the bag, isn't it? You know, it's blow up in your front room. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'll tell you right now, I'd take a pot noodle any day over this. <laughs> Well, anyway, so was... it's, it's a warning to us all, I think, but it should not in any way, I hope it won't diminish your adventurous uh, cooking spirit, food spirit, to go out and, and, and explore all these devious, um, peculiar corners of the current no. world so that other people don't have to. <laughs> well, exactly. I did suddenly realise afterwards, maybe there's a reason why there was about 50 of them with a massive price reduction. Nobody buys them for a reason. <laughs> Can I just can I just go back a little bit and 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 give a plug for my cookery book? Please do. Which one? Because you've written more than one. And I've only written one cookery book. Oh, I see. Cookery, not okay, cookery not book, book in general. Yes. Hang on a sec. I'll just drag it down from the from the shelf because I actually because it it deals with something that we mentioned earlier. You know, it deals with something that we mentioned earlier, which is a sort of the practical side of you know how we cook, why we cook for various things. It's called Cooking by Numbers, available at very, very few, very honest um, bookshops. Um, but it was based on the idea... Well, it's based on the idea there used to be a thing called Painting by Numbers, which was yes. yeah, sort of... Uh, uh, which was a way a lot of us learned how to, how, to, how to paint. I thought cooking the same process. And the fact is that when you're cooking, you're not just cooking in a, in a vacuum, are you? You're cooking for... Well, you maybe could just cooking for yourself, but if not, you're cooking for yourself and your, and your partner, or you're cooking mm. for four, you're cooking for six, or cooking for eight. You're always cooking for a number of people, hence cooking by numbers. And then, and then I, divided up the, um, uh, I divided up the recipes into a piece of cake, which is quick and easy. Uh, oh, no sweat. Which was which is long, uh, maybe took longer, like making a stew, but it's actually no effort at all. And then oh, there was, yes. you know, and then there's making an effort. I think there's some really good recipes in there, but they were they were all arose out of you know domestic cooking, cooking for you, cooking for mum, cooking for friends, cooking for whatever it happened to be. You know, it was all related in the day to day realities of domestic life. It is a clever idea because scalability, you know, is important for, mm. for, for a lot of us when we cook. You know, what, what is possible for certain numbers? Uh, well, I, uh, I do have a copy and I will, after this discussion, revisit it because I have to admit, it might, it's been some time since I have cast, it. <laughs> cast an eye. Well, if you're looking for inspiration, it might, you might find something there. 
or uh, indeed tips or tricks which we uh, might move on to yes right okay what's your what's your tip of the tip of the week okay so mine's i don't know whether you could call this a tip but uh recently we had for whatever reason lots of leftover chilies and we had some leftover fruit um in this case it was pineapple um but we've we have done it with other fruits and we thought well what should we do with these leftover chilies and this pineapple that's kind of going to go in the next day or so? And um, had a little Google, and we now make our own hot sauce, which is really easy. And you can chuck any sort of exotic fruit into a Nutribullet or a blender with the chilies. And we just added what we had lying around, which was a bit of leftover coriander, some seasoning, kind of, you know, you could really put a lot of different things and you could even put sort of peppers like sweet peppers or bell peppers in your fridge put it in blitz it up and then the trick is you boil it lightly for about 10 minutes to to bring all the flavors together yeah Mm. and pasteurize it and then let it cool and we have put it on the table at so many meals we've had it with a side of trout we've had it with pizza we've had it with Asian food. We've had it with so many things. It's just, it's such an easy way of using things up. Is it a liquid or is it a sort of glop? Mm, it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a flowing glop. It's a fluid glop. It's, it, it's a fluid glop. It's exactly what it is. It Damn. flows, but it's not, a, it's, not, it's not like a streaming liquid. But it's, okay. it's a very good tip. So that would be my tip. Any leftover tropical fruit and some chilies, chuck them in a blender. And uh, have some hot sauce because I think you know I think I hate almost almost more than anything else is throwing stuff away. I hate oh, yeah, waste. It, it's sort of I find it an insult, really. Well, <laughs> it is mine an insult. Is, mine is is from the European tradition, whereas yours clearly from the from the Asian tradition. And mine mm-hmm. is if you're making pastry, and okay. if your pastry contains butter, then this, uh, what I suggest you do is in. What the, what the recipes always say is, you know, break up the butter in your fingers and and, and add it to the flour and, until it forms little sort of mealy flakes. It is much, much easier if you grate, chill your butter right down and then grate your butter into the flour because it produces oh, these long idea. ribbons and it's much easier to mix in. And this a is a trick idea. I learnt from my wonderful um, French sister in Nordilu, who's sadly no longer with us, but nevertheless, she lives on in not only in her pastry, but her absolutely now talk about a signature dish her lemon tart. There has oh, never been that. a lemon tart to equal Dilu's lemon tart. I agree with you, it was a, a really, a really, a really banging pud. She... <laughs> I'm not sure she would have recognised. <laughs> I she don't would, think she, she would have recognised the term. She would be very, very pleased. <laughs> she would. Um, that's a really good tip, and actually, not just pastry or mm. baking. Grate yeah. your butter. That's yeah, a yeah, fantastic idea. Great the butter. Great the butter. Okay. Okay. Well, well uh, uh, do you think it's enough for for one week? I think so. I think, and then we've got some thinking to do because I think next time we're going to talk about our food loves and our food hates. Food loves and food hates. Yes. Hmm. Oh. I don't think it's going to require much thought. I think that's going to come quite easily. <laughs> I think there's going to be rather more than we can actually cope with on a podcast. Possibly. Well, you have a good evening. And you have a wonderful evening. Always love happy, co- happy cooking. Happy cooking. Uh, happy co- I just love chatting around with food with you. It's just a perfect joy. Me too. And it's perfect timing because it's made me hungry. I've got to go and have some <laughs> supper. <laughs> Cheerio. Bye.